Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. One of the tips I give in my book, Get the Job Done, is for people to think of their employment journey as a film production. Each phase of your employment life will require that you project an image that translates into success. Depending on your personality and your life experience to date, in order to be successful, you may have to step outside your comfort zone. If you're shy, reticent, and soft-spoken, you'll need to call upon your inner being to help you project an image that differs from the person you may actually be. If you're an extrovert with an exuberant, bubbly personality, you may have to dial it back. The challenge is to strike a balance, a balance that results in a persona that employment decision makers find appealing. Now, unfortunately for job seekers, What constitutes a balance may change from interview to interview and even from employer to employer. In my book, Get the Job Done, I suggest that individuals, as I said, envision their employment experience as a film production. My suggestion was no more than imagery. I wanted you to think in terms of being the person that drives the project, the project being your job search. And there are other steps that you can find in the book. But my next guest, Vincent Tabone, literally became a film producer. Vincent Tabone, managing director, co-author of VJT Productions, LLC, went from laid-off employee to documentary film producer. Ben is writer, director, and producer of the PBS documentary series, The Hudson River School, Parts 1 and 2. He is also a freelance licensing coordinator where his responsibilities include generating synchronization, publishing contracts, trafficking, and negotiation of agreements. Then has a BA in music business from the State University of New York College at Oneonta. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Beverly. So nice to be speaking with you today. Look, Ben, when we met almost 10 years ago, I believe you'd just been laid off. Please share your employment journey up to that point, up to the point of your layoff. Right, right. Yeah, that was 2011. 
I had been at Sony for 15 years, Sony Music Entertainment in New York City. Before that, I had worked for a company called Diamond Time, which was a rights and clearances uh, company on Spring Street. And I did that for three years. Before that, I was a musician most of my life, a working musician. That's how I made my living. And after coming to the realization I was not going to, quote unquote, make it, I thought, you know what? I need another plan. I need another plan for the next chapter in my life. So I went to the State University of New York at Oneonta and got a music business degree. And that kind of gave me the uh, the background to start looking for jobs in the music industry. So I went from being performer, musician, performing side to business side. So I stayed in the music business because that's been my whole life. It's something that still drives me today. And um, so that background, getting that degree from Oneonta... Uh, landed me the job at Diamond Time, which was initially contract administration. Then I was doing sample clearances and various rights and clearances. And through Diamond Time, I made my contacts at Sony Music. I was hired as associate director of business affairs. And then a few years later, director of business affairs, then rights and clearances. And I was there for 15 years. And that was in 2011. They had a company-wide layoff. And about 40 of us were let go on the same day. Now, I, I know from experience, quite frankly, and from just doing the work I've, I've done, that that's a stressful time when you get laid off and you find yourself having to make decisions about how to move forward. What did you decide to do? How did you move forward? Well, at that point... I was not traumatized. <laughs> Anyone that's worked in corporate America for 15 years in high stress, demanding situations for 15 years, meetings in the boardroom a couple of times a week, it wasn't traumatic for me. It was somewhat of a relief. So I was ready. I was ready for the next chapter. And they had given packages to employees. So I had some money to last me for some months, so that was comforting. I was lucky to have that. And then I started uh, you know, wondering what the next uh, chapter would bring. So I didn't necessarily take a break when that happened. I started thinking, okay, what do I want to do next? And um, I did look for a job. I did try to get back into that industry, maybe at Universal or some other large uh, music company. But, um, and this is something I don't know if you want to talk about, I was over the age of 50. So my uh, resumes were not readily accepted. Or <laughs> once you get over that 50 mark, from what I've experienced firsthand, it's kind of hard to get back into that. So um, initially, I did think, well, maybe I'll just do that for a while, while I pursue my next passion. Maybe I'll play music again. or So after that really didn't happen, I didn't get back into corporate America. I thought, well, I love American art. I love the Hudson River School. And I thought, you know, there's never been a documentary on the Hudson River School artists. The Metropolitan Museum of Art had done one back in the 80s that was on VHS tape. And I thought, you know what? It's 2011, maybe it was 2012 at that point. I thought, this is something that's not in the marketplace. 
I think there's a demand for it. It's unique. And um, there are many, many books on the subject. And uh, their artwork is in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's in the National Gallery. It's even in the Louvre in Paris. And I thought, wow, it would be great. And this is something I always wanted in my collection of DVDs. I'd love to have a, a DVD documentary on the Hudson River School. And driven by my love for that, I thought, you know what? I have some downtime. Maybe I'll put one together myself. Really not knowing what that entailed at all. It was really a learn by doing experience and bringing in other people who had the expertise. If I was kind of quote unquote smart about anything, areas I, I wasn't familiar with, I would bring in people who knew what they were doing, had proven track records, and that includes lawyers, videographers, art gallery owners, authors, scholars. So I did a lot of consulting in the beginning, and I thought that that would be a good avenue to pursue. It, it excited me. Again, it excited me. And, and so that's the kind of route I took at that point. But it sounds like you weren't just flying by the seat of your pants. You gave it some thought. You must have done some research. I did a lot of research, yeah. And again, with my background in licensing, I did license footage in the past and images and music. And so I do come from a background of many, many years of dealing with publishers and dealing with superstar artists, managers, lawyers, huge corporations, you know, licensing footage, images. That I did have that. I did, I did all of that actually myself uh, for the two documentaries I did. So I did have that. But again, I didn't have the video production experience. I had literally zero video production experience. So then, um, so after doing some research, like anything else in life, you need money to make a documentary. You need money to make things happen. You need money to license footage. I went to a friend of mine who owns an art gallery on Park Avenue, who specializes in Hudson River School art called Quest Royal Fine Art, Lou Salerno, who's the owner. I ran the idea by him. I said, I would love to do a documentary on the Hudson River School. And he said, why don't we do this together? And um, and we both created a budget. And um, he uh, really had total faith in me that I could get this done. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe because I've known him, you know, for many 10 or 20 years at this point. And uh, he, he had a total leap of faith in me. We had no idea if anyone would pick it up. But we did think that this was something that was not in the marketplace. It was a unique product. That, uh, that was its advantage. And so we ran with it. We put together a budget. My wife was working at A&E at the time and introduced me to a producer there who did some freelance filming and editing. And um, he basically put all of my ideas together. And I started contacting scholars and authors to interview. And it just kind of snowballed. It started with a script. And then I had to literally pull all the pieces together and get legal advice along the way. I had no idea about insurance. 
Um, I had to figure out uh, all of the insurance we needed for the production. And then um, later on, copyright, trademark, infringement, all of that. It's called E&O insurance for the back end of the project. So we secured all of that. So it was really a labor of love. Again, we had no idea the first one would get picked up and we ran with it. And luckily, when it was all done, we found a distributor that, that got it out to all the PBS markets. And uh, I think the first one was, it's actually still being broadcast. They, extend, they extended the term. And uh, it's been in 50 or 60 markets throughout the U.S. And uh, the same with part two. And that equates to millions and millions of viewers. So it, I've been very fortunate. But in the beginning, it was really rounding up all of the expertise and figuring out how do I do this and how do I do that and taking the advice of some experts. Well, how can listeners obtain your PBS documentary series, The Hudson River School? You know, being that my distributor, which is called NETA, the National Educational Telecommunications Association, they're my TV distributor. So they get parts one and two out to all the PBS markets, PBS in the U.S. and Canada. PBS distribution handles the retail. They handle online sales. They're at shoppbs.org. They distribute the DVD. They distribute the DVD to libraries, major libraries where you can rent it, museum gift shops, colleges and universities for teaching purposes. And they also distribute to some digital outlets such as um, Amazon Prime and Netflix. So as of right now, both volumes are on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can go there and view either part one, which is called Artistic Pioneers, or part two, which is called Cultivating a Tradition. Now, is part three in the works? Are you looking to do part three or no? Are you going to move on to another project? I may move on to a different project only because at this point in time with what we're all going through with this coronavirus, everything is shut down. And a big part of what I do as producer and wearing all the hats is, again, soliciting foundations and different organizations for support. So being that a lot of the foundations and a lot of organizations I would have gone to are now literally closed, and I don't know for how long, I'm not sure about a part three, but I have, again, somehow it always goes back to my musical experience or past or upbringing or whatever you call it. People still send me songs. Artists, songwriters still send me songs to listen to. And, uh, and I do deal with many music supervisors in the business who place music in TV shows, movies, and different places, films. So I have a song that was sent to me by a songwriter in Scotland called Butterfly that I'm very excited about. We're in the process of securing a single song publisher agreement. So being that the foundations are are down right now, businesses are closed. I'm thinking it may be a good uh, time to get back into maybe pitching some songs around to different music supervisors to see if we can play some music, you know, on TV or online 
And I had done that in the past also. I had represented a couple of different uh, Nashville singer-songwriters throughout the years and had gone back and forth to Nashville trying to secure record deals and uh, through various connections. So it's exciting. I haven't done that in a while, but it looks like uh, this may be a perfect opportunity You know where I can do that from home. All the contacts are still there, the music supervisors that are always looking for TV music and film music. and So we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm excited about that right now. Well, what advice would you give people who find themselves unemployed, regardless of why? You know, I would say this, to be completely practical, you know, initially I would say follow your dream. But, you know, sometimes that doesn't always work. It depends upon your age. It depends upon your dream. Being over 50 now. I can't be the astronaut I always wanted to be or the baseball player I always wanted to be. So when people say, well, follow your passion, and people would say, look, I still love baseball. I still love music, but I can't be a rock star. I can't be... You can't. So I would say, in terms of being practical, first you need to find a job to make money, um, even if you're not thrilled about it. Because we all need that income stream to make a living and everything that entails, paying the rent, buying the food. And then while you're doing that, even if you're not 100% happy with it, I wasn't thrilled with my first job out of college, which was Diamond Time. Came very close to quitting many times, but by taking the advice of someone who said, look, give any new job one year, I took that advice as much as I hated it, And through sticking it out from that first year, I made my connection at Sony, which literally got me everything else in my life. I got connected to my wife. It gave me a career. We got married. It bought us a house. It led to my connection at Quest Royal because the art gallery was a few blocks up the street from the Sony building. So if I didn't stick it out for that first year, I really don't know where I would be right now. So I would say, first, you need to make money, find the job that you can make some money at, and follow your dream while you're doing that. Then that's good advice. And we're about finished now. Unless you have something else that you want to say to our listeners, We'll end on that note. I would just like to say thank you, Beverly, for having me on your show. This is wonderful. I feel honored. And for people listening out there, thank you for checking out the Hudson River School series. It's on Amazon Prime TV, or you can find it on shoppbs.org, or you could Google my name, Vin Tabone, V-I-N-T-A-B-O-N-E, and you will see everything come up about the Hudson River School and maybe even some of the, the groups I had performed and I'm not really sure what's on there right now, but that would be wonderful. And thank you so much, Beverly. This was great. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences.
This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.